book of Luke, chapter 17, and verse number 5, and I want to read just two verses, verse number 5 and 6. From Luke chapter 17 and verse 5 says, And the apostles said unto the Lord, Increase our faith. And the Lord said, If you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you might say unto this sycamore tree, Be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. I want to talk to you for a few minutes this afternoon on this title, How Far Can You See? Look at your neighbor and say, How Far Can You See? How far can you see? Amen. All things in the kingdom of God, all things are realized by faith. There is nothing that you will ever obtain or attain to in the kingdom of God that does not come by faith. If the kingdom of God were a store, then faith is the currency. It's not works. Bible says, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's not, it's not good looks. Everybody say, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Some of us wouldn't be around in the kingdom. It's not how tall you are. It's not how short you are or how wide you are or how wide you are not. It's not what color of shirt you wear or if your suits look just right. Or even your, your pedigree, who your father and your mother are. It's your faith. Whether it's King David or whether it's four lepers sitting at the gate. Why sit we here until we die? A little bit of faith was all that was needed to obtain power for that particular hour. Salvation comes by faith. You do not get the Holy Ghost begging for it. You'll never get it. There are... There are seekers that seek after the Holy Ghost for years and even decades. And I've heard them pray for the Holy Ghost and they're begging for it. But the Holy Ghost never is poured out that way, just as repentance is not, is not achieved that way. You ask and you ask in faith. Miracles come by faith. Nobody ever got a miracle unless they first had some level of faith for it first. Growing in God is growing in your faith. And as you grow in your faith, all things flow out of faith. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, etc. They all flow out of faith. So your level of faith determines what you are able to see and realize in the kingdom of God. Look with me to the book of 2 Peter chapter 1. And the apostle Peter said, and beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith. Now he starts the list with, with what? Faith. So faith comes first. Add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge temperance, temperance patience, to patience godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness charity or love. For if these things be in you and abound, watch what he says now, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and has forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. All of these virtues are what stems from our faith. Apostle Peter said that if our faith isn't being added to or growing, 
then we are in a process of slowly becoming blind. When I was 30, when I remember when I turned 30, yes, I'm not that old yet. I didn't need glasses. Now I've got these things hanging off the end of my nose. And, and also, by the way, my wife makes fun of me because years ago I had, I had four or five notes. Now I have 13 or 14 note, pages of notes. And it's not, it's, it's not because I'm preaching longer necessarily. It's because the font has gotten bigger. <laughs> That's a true story right there. I started off at 12-point font many years ago. There was a time I think I even did 10. Now I'm up to 22. <laughs> God help me. So, so the font is bigger. I don't know. I probably need to go to 24. I remember when I, I would debate between 20 and 22. Now I'm up to Times New Roman, 22-point font. <laughs> Bless him, Lord. <laughs> but blind here in this context means to shut the eyes or to be nearsighted. The meaning is that unlike one who has clear and distinct vision and can see clearly things that are afar off into the distance, that person is instead nearsighted and only able to see what is directly in front of them. Nearsightedness is equal to, in the mind of Peter, of being blind here. And so he said, if we ever come to a point where we're not adding to our faith, where our faith is not growing, where we're not, we're not adding more love and more joy and more virtue and more temperance, he said, you come to a place in your own life where you no longer can see as far as you used to be able to see. And there were times when you used to be able to believe God for a lot of things, and you can't believe God for those things anymore. You just don't have that level of faith. The problem is not that you don't remember the days of your miracle. The problem is that you're not adding to your faith. Because as we add to our faith, everything that flows out of faith is beginning to develop in us. So how far can you see today? What can you see God doing from a distance? What can you see God doing by faith that he hasn't yet done in the natural yet? And do you need proof before you will believe? All things in the kingdom of God are realized by faith. We get nothing apart from our level of faith. I believe that there are different levels of faith and different levels in God's kingdom. Furthermore, I believe that each level is a deeper dimension of faith. And so along with faith comes various other things. The things, for example, that the apostle, that the apostle Peter just noted. But not the least of which is various levels of the miraculous that we can see in our life and that we have the ability to pray for in other people's life. You can stay where you're at and never go beyond where you are. And many are doing this today, and many have done it before. But the greater miracles happen when we launch out into the deeper things of God. Look with me to Psalms 107, verse 23 says, But they that go down to the sea in ships, that do business in great waters, these see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. You want to see really big fish. They don't stay in the shallow waters you have to go really, really, really deep. Remember whenever Jesus was teaching by the seashore and he was on that boat. Matter of fact, he was on Simon Peter's boat. And Simon Peter had just 
had just been toiling and tearing all night long and he had caught nothing. And so Jesus said, Simon, the problem is not you don't know how to fish. The problem is that you're not fishing deep enough. You have to launch out into the deep. And when he launched out into the deep, then he caught a net of fishes that was so big, he began to rule the fact that he didn't bring a bigger boat. You know, the Mariana Trench is Earth's deepest place. It is 36,201 feet deep. That's over seven miles straight down. It's the latest, it's the least unexplored place on planet Earth. It's deep enough to easily swallow Mount Everest, which goes about five, a little over five miles high. So it swallows Mount Everest and then goes for nearly two additional miles. In fact, only about 5% of the entire ocean's floor, not, not accepting the Mariana Trench, which has really never been explored, but only about 5% of the entire ocean's floor has ever yet been explored. And yet, scientists have found that there are literally millions, if not billions, of unknown species that are still yet undiscovered because they lay at the bottom of the ocean floor and nobody has been able to fully explore that yet. Simply, man hasn't gone deep enough. Many things and many people simply have not gone deep enough. Let me remind you what the Apostle Paul said to the Corinthians in chapter 2. But as it is written, I hath not seen, ear hath not heard, neither have an entered into the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for them that love him. But God has revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. We talk about all the things that God can do, but the Bible says that eyes have not seen and ears have not heard. We haven't seen and heard what? We have not seen and heard the deeper things of God. Oh, but I, I remember the days of miracles gone by. I remember, you might say, uh, well, I remember 30 years ago when this revival happened and when that revival happened. I remember whenever this miracle happened in the church and I remember when we gathered around this person and this person got up out of a wheelchair. I remember, you know, 100,000 people getting the Holy Ghost in Ethiopia back in the early 90s when Brother Billy Copreys, you know what, I thank God for all those miracles, but let me remind you that only a small portion of the deep things of God have yet been, have yet been discovered. And that means that if I have the vision and the faith to be able to see those things, I can see greater things than has ever been, than has ever been seen before. I can discover deeper things in God that have yet been discovered. Yes, even deeper anointings, even deeper things of the Spirit because they are unexplored. And then he says in Psalms 107 and verse 25, for he commands and raises the stormy wind which lifts up the ways thereof. They mount up to heaven and they go down to the depths. Their soul is melted because of trouble. You ever been in the ocean where, where, the, where the waves are really high and, and the swells are like eight or 10 feet deep and, and you go straight up and then you go straight down. It's, and if you're a land lover like me, it's not pleasant to the stomach. Even fishermen, you know, whenever they go really far out into the deep, into the ocean, they know that they're going out that far because the ocean is deeper out there. And deeper oceans means deeper fish or bigger fish. 
Blue whales don't swim in 10 feet of water. Not even in SeaWorld. But God said only those that go into the deep will see the really great things of God. And then he talks about a storm and giant waves uh, that are rolling. This happens in the deepest parts of the ocean. Storms that would terrify you. And the kind, not the kind that you, that you sleep in. But God commands the stormy wind and the roaring waves to cease. That's exactly what Jesus did in Mark chapter 4. And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of man is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? When Jesus said, Peace be still, exactly what the psalmist said that God himself does. And after that, the disciples had a greater understanding of who Jesus was because their faith began to grow. And let me tell you, why does God bring us into big storms? It is for this reason, to show us his power and to increase our faith. You see, God, when he brings us into storms and he causes things to happen in our life, he's not simply showing off, but he's showing us so that our faith will grow and so that we can begin to see bigger things, the deeper things of God, which are mostly yet undiscovered. The Spirit of God is deeper than any Mariana Trench. The greater things of God is that, that God is able to do are still yet undiscovered. And there is no limit to them. And I say to you today, and I believe I'm saying this prophetically, that there are greater things in God that this church will see, things that we cannot begin to imagine. As the Scripture has said, eyes have not seen, and ears have not heard. Don't look back at the good old days and say, wow, wasn't it so good back then? Thank God for the good old days, but thank God for what's getting ready to happen. Thank God for the season that God is, getting, is, is leading us into. If we're going to see a bigger building and God do greater things, we have to have an increase in our level of faith. Why? Because liberty is filled with professional churches that have professional sounding, sounding praise bands, expert sermons preached by men with lots of degrees, churches with great programs for kids and for youth and, for, and, and, and huge uh, expensive buildings. But what liberty needs the most is an apostolic church that possesses a deeper dimension of faith in the miraculous. Amen. What if I told you today that God wants to bring this church to a place where miracles are happening in every single service and it is a common occurrence? What if I told you that not just this local church, but every apostolic church can come to that place? Can the blinded eyes still be opened? Can the lame still walk? Can the deaf and the mute still hear? In 2022, in the darkest political and financial and spiritual hour, can God still provide? Can God still do great things? Are there things that can happen that has never happened before? Things that are not even recorded in the book of Acts. It can happen in our day if we have faith to see it. How far can you see? But our problem isn't 
our eyesight so much as it is our memory. Now I know as you get older, your memory kind of starts to slip too. I've heard people say that they live in the hereafter. They go into the room and think, what am I hereafter? <laughs> you're on your way to a room and something else pops up in your head and you go back and do that and then you forget what you were doing just a minute ago. It's probably never happened to anybody but me. We have, we have a good memory and we have poor eyesight spiritually. That's where a lot of people are at. We tend to view our present and especially our future through the lens of our past. We tend to judge what God is currently doing and what God is currently able to do in our life individually and in our families and our friends' life and in our church through the lens of what has already happened. We let our past limit our faith. Look at Joshua chapter 5. At that time, the Lord said unto Joshua, Make you sharp knives and circumcise again the children of Israel the second time. And Joshua made him sharp knives and circumcised the children of Israel at the hill of their foreskins. And this is the cause why Joshua did circumcise. Watch this. All the people that came out of Egypt that were males, even all the men of war died in the wilderness, by the way, after they came out of Egypt. Now all the people that, that came out were circumcised. But all the people that were born in the wilderness, by the way, as they came forth out of Egypt, they had not been circumcised. Now, circumcision was how you got into the covenant of Abraham. As a matter of fact, you can read Genesis 17 where God told Abraham, this is my covenant that you shall keep. And if you don't keep this, you will be cut off from your people. That means they could not enter that sacred covenant of Abraham and consider themselves a child of God under the covenant of Abraham, under the law, unless they had been circumcised. Without being circumcised, they were cut off. They were not a son of Abraham. They were cut off not only from Abraham's promises, but from all God's spiritual promises that God made to Abraham as well. How then does an entire generation get cut off? Considering the fact that for 430 years they kept the covenant of circumcision while they were in Egypt. How could they keep it in Egypt and then forget it off in the desert? Because just a few uh, short years into it, they came, uh, they came to their promised land and they sent those spies. Only two came back. Uh, only two came back with a good report. And the other ten said, no, we can't take it. And they mumbled and grumbled and complained. And God said, I'm going to let all of them die in the wilderness. And that's when they stopped being circumcised. They stopped believing. That's, how, that's what happens when you stop believing. When you stop believing, it affects your eyesight. You stop seeing whenever they came to Canaan the first time, as I said, and believed that and believed those faithless ten spies. God promised that generation would die in the wilderness and the next generation would see Canaan, but they wandered for so long, all that they saw was the hot desert sand, and as a result, they fell far short of God's covenants. And a process that would have been painless at eight days old became a painful memory in adulthood. And a stopping point where God said, you can't go any further into Canaan. You can't, you can't march around the walls of Jericho. You can't, you can't take even so much as a square inch of the promised land until you first get back into that covenant. 
because they lost their faith in the wilderness. All they could see for 40 long years was the hot desert sand. And yeah, they saw miracles and signs and wonders, but they never believed as a nation. They stopped believing somewhere along the way that God had a greater destination and a purpose for them than the hot desert sand they were wandering around in. And so God brought them to Gilgal where they had to wash themselves from that wilderness experience. If it had been up to them, they would have rushed right in. They would have rushed right into Canaan, not realizing that Canaan possesses giants that need to be slain and walls that need to come down. And that requires a greater dimension of faith. You see, we always think we're ready before God does. But they needed not a wilderness mentality. They needed a warfare mentality. And that's why whenever they came to Canaan later in in the very next chapter, they they circumcised themselves again, Joshua 5. The very next chapter, chapter 6 of of, uh, the book of Joshua, they came to Canaan and God told Joshua, I want you to have the children of Israel march around the walls of Jericho once every day and the seventh day march around seven times. Now, God didn't need to do that. And matter of fact, whenever they came to the banks of the Red Sea just 40 years earlier, all God told Moses was stretch out your rod over the Red Sea and it'll part, one on the right and one on the left, walk across and drag around. Whenever they needed water, they went to Moses. Moses smote the rock once, and, and he, was supposed to, uh, he was supposed to speak to it again. Water gushed out of a rock. Whenever they needed manna in the wilderness, they just said, God, where's the manna? Where's the food? We're going to die. Manna rained down from heaven for 48 years. God never required any act of faith on the part of Israel while they were still in the desert until they came to this place. And when they came to Canaan, And they saw the walls there. And they remembered, that generation remembered, we've been here before. We're not going to fail this time. And so God said, I want you to march around the walls of Jericho. And as they begin to march, I believe, you know, of course, they, they circumcised themselves first. They rested, they got cured, and they healed up from that. And then they went on. And they marched around those walls of Jericho. And I believe that maybe perhaps on some level, perhaps it was a struggle of faith for some of them. But on that seventh day, in that seventh time, they had to shout a shout of victory. That was a shout of faith. That was a shout of God. We know it's going to come down. We know you're going to do what you said you were going to do. You know what? There's a time to go to Moses and to complain about how there's no manna and there's no water. But there's a time when God brings you to your Canaan and you look at the walls that are so thick and you say this is impossible without God and God says okay I want you to march and you're marching for a little while and there's going to come a day when God's going to say okay I want you to stop marching and I want you to shout a shout of victory but I don't see my miracle that's the point you're never going to see it with your natural eyes you got to see it by faith got to see it by faith amen The place that God has for us to possess will require a deeper dimension of faith because God has more than just a plot of land and a building. 
But when we come into that place, we will be required to have a deeper dimension of faith and a warfare mentality because it's not just a building that God wishes us to, to go into. It's miracles. It's deeper signs. It's wonders. It's people getting the Holy Ghost. It is an apostolic downpour of the Holy Spirit of God where thousands and thousands can receive the Holy Ghost. Right here in Liberty? Yes, right here in Liberty! He's going to show us that he's the God of the impossible. I declare new things are being declared right now in the spirit. I believe that we're getting ready to enter a season where we are going to see things that we have never seen before. Things that have been prayed for and wept over and fasted over for generation after generation. And we are going to see those things in the kingdom of God in our day. Amen. Gilgal, where Israel got circumcised that second time, means a rolling away in the Hebrew. And that's why it said in Joshua 5, And the Lord said unto Joshua, This day have I rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. Wherefore, the name of that place is called Gilgal unto this day. I believe that some of you, and as a church, are entering Gilgal, where the reproach of Egypt and the things of your past are being rolled away and you are stepping foot on new ground. Forget about what was and reach forward into what will be because new things are being declared. Isaiah said, behold, the former things are come to pass and new things do I declare, do I declare unto you. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. And in 43 and 19, he said, behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a way in the wilderness I will make rivers in the desert. Oh, God was talking to a people, amen, who had seen all kinds of miracles and all kinds of wonders. But God said, I'm getting ready to do something that you've never seen before. I'm getting ready to show you how deep the Mariana Trench really is. I'm going to take you all the way down to the bottom of the ocean floor, and I'm going to show you the deep things of God. I believe it. Hallelujah. Where will God do this? He said, I will do this in the wilderness. Look back at Isaiah 43 and 19. Look, pull up that verse. He said, towards the end, I will make a way in what? The wilderness. In rivers, in the desert. We don't like the wilderness. How many love the hot desert sand? Now, I'm not talking about some nice little beach in Tahiti somewhere, private beach. I'm talking about a, a, a hot desert sand where there's no water. Even the cactuses are, are dying of thirst. <laughs> it's hot. Sand is hot. There's no sun coverage or, or there's, no, there's no cloud coverage. We don't like the wilderness. But look at what Song of Solomon chapter 8 says. Who is this that comes up from the wilderness? leaning upon her beloved. Then he goes on, he says, I raised thee up, up, up under the apple tree. Therefore thy mother brought thee forth. There she brought thee forth that bare thee. Who is this that comes up from the wilderness? Now he's talking about the bride of Christ in this verse. And the idea is that when she went in the wilderness, it was celebration. It was, woo, we're going on a road trip. 
She came out of the wilderness in a completely different mindset. Leaning on her beloved. Now, if you've ever taken a walk with your wife, and she takes you by the arm and leans into you, this is the idea. It's trust. It's intimacy. It's, it's loving charm. It's sweet. It's gentleness. It's true love. She went in the wilderness a different way than she came out of it. I guarantee you she did not go into the wilderness that way. But we always come out of the wilderness leaning. Whatever wilderness you're in, you always go out of it leaning. That's the main reason why God leads us into the wilderness to begin with, to teach us how to lean. Israel was not ready to lean when they came to that banks of the Red Sea. They said, how are we going to do this? How are we going to make this part? How are we going to fight Israel? And all through the wilderness journey, all 40 years, it's what God was trying to get them to do. You dummies, it's manna comes from me, not you. You're never going to figure it out. And so they came, to, they came to one place where they drank water and it made them, it made them bitter. And they said, oh, what are we going to do now? And, and, and God said, well, just cast that, cast that branch in, uh, in, into these waters. And Mara became sweet. And they came to another place and they were thirsty. And you know, I can't say I'd blame them. I mean, when I'm thirsty and there's no water, I'd probably complain about it too. And who do they complain about? Moses, what did they say? What are we going to do? We're going to go back to Egypt. They weren't leading. That was the whole problem. And they weren't ready to take Canaan because Canaan was bigger than anything they could do. No matter how big they were, no matter how strong they were, no matter how technologically advanced their weaponry was, they would never be good enough to do what God called them to do in Canaan. So they had to learn to lean. So God led them through that wilderness journey. And he let them see waters come out of a rock and manna rain down from heaven. So they would learn how to lean. And when they came out of that wilderness, they were leaning on her uh, beloved, because self-sufficiency is the enemy of God. Yes, you can learn how to live without God. As a matter of fact, you can have a pretty good life doing it sometimes. If you make good decisions, if you're not a knucklehead, do stupid stuff, end up in jail or cheat on your wife, and end up you know, doing a bunch of bad things. If you live a good moral life, you can have a good life without God. You don't believe me? Esau did it. So did Cain. Read Genesis chapter 4. Cain killed Abel. He went out from the presence of the Lord. Went out from the presence of the Lord. In the land of Nod. Nod means wondering. And he wondered there. That means he was like a nomad. He never found a place called home. But he married. He had wives. He had grandchildren. And, but the lineage of Cain stopped with his grandkids. And the Bible never talks anymore about the death of Cain or Esau. We don't know how old they were when they died. We, we don't know anything about the death of, of Cain or the death of Esau. But we do know that they lived successful lives apart from God. But if you live without God, you have to die without God. And that is the greatest tragedy. So God sends us into the wilderness to bring about a change. And with that change will come eyesight. Seeing things as God saw and sees them. And we see this in the life of Jacob. He had to leave home in guilt after deceiving his brother, his brother Esau. Then he spent 20 years being severely mistreated by his uncle Laban. He served 14 years for his beloved, beautiful young wife, Rachel. 
and, and Leah. And then he came and he wrestled with God with the wrestling match that resulted in him limping for the rest of his life as God touched the hollow of his thigh and broke that. And then he lost his beautiful and beloved wife, Rachel, whom he had loved and worked for 14 years as she gave birth to only the second son that, that she was able to give birth, which was Benjamin. Then he lost what he thought. He lost his favorite son, Joseph, where he lost for 14 years, again, or so he thought. And this on top of the myriad of other things that occurred to him. There were famines and diseases and wandering around and all kinds of things that his kids were constantly doing and getting into trouble. But Jacob had a wrestling match with God early on in his life that resulted in his name being changed from Jacob to Israel. But strangely, Scripture goes back and forth between calling him Jacob, which means deceiver, and Israel, which means prince with God. I believe it was because Jacob never fully was able to walk into his anointing and his calling like God called him to because he was still wrestling with the spirit of self-sufficiency. You see, Jacob was called to be a prophet but didn't fall into that ministry until very late in his life actually on his deathbed. He never prophesied anything until his deathbed. And I'll get to that in a moment. In all that Jacob did, he achieved the greatest deed for God on his deathbed where he prophesied to all 12 of his children and he also included a prophecy about the Messiah himself. But you can read from uh, Genesis 42 and 36 where it says this, And Jacob, their father, said unto them, Me ye have bereaved of my children. Joseph is not. Joseph is dead. Simeon is probably dead too. And now you're going to take Benjamin away. All these things are against me. You see, Jacob, with all the things that had happened in his life, all the reversals that had happened in his life, all he could see was that hot desert sand in his sandals. All these things are working against me. And prophets who are also called seers in Scripture because they see prophetically. They see things. When you got the spirit of a prophet on you, you can see things in the spirit that nobody else can see. But all he could see was that hot desert sand. And at the end, he finally saw things as God saw them and he could see far off into the distance. But early on in Jacob's life, this is what happened. And I'm going to explain this from Hebrews chapter 11 in verse 21. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed the sons of Joseph and worshiped leaning on the top of his staff. Now, it seems like an insignificant little fact or detail that Joseph was leaning on his staff. But staff here in the Greek, which is the language of the New Testament, means the branch or a branch. Let me remind you, who is the branch in Scripture? Isaiah chapter 11 and verse 1, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The branch, as he is called, came out of Jesse, who was the father of King David. Jesse was called, sorry, Jesus was called the son of David. And in the sense of Jesus being foretold as, as being called a branch, Jacob's staff symbolized Jesus Christ upon whom he leaned. And when he leaned on that staff, he prophesied. Look at Genesis 32 and verse 10. Where Jacob said, I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth. 
which you have shown unto me. And he's talking to Esau now, his brother. He just got through with the wrestling match to God. For with my staff, I passed over this Jordan, and now I am become two bands. Now, this was shortly after he had a wrestling match with God, and God had just broken the hollow of his thigh. But Scripture never bears forth that in all of his pilgrimage, it just says that after he got done with that wrestling match, he looked around, he's probably in the woods, and he, he found a branch. Might have looked something like this. And he walked with it. Now, Jacob was a man that was strong in the flesh. That's why God broke the hollow of his thigh. That's the strongest muscle in the body. God was trying to get Jacob to a place where he would lean upon the Lord and not depend on his own abilities. And why, why does Hebrews go out of its way to say the fact that Jacob leaned on his staff on his deathbed? Because it never bears forth the fact that he ever leaned on it. He probably carried it. He probably, you know, Walked, with, walked like this, probably walked with some kind of limp. But at the end of his days, when he was weak and frail and his eyesight was dim and his ears probably weren't right either, he, he leaned on that staff for strength. And you know what the real miracle is? That that branch, just an old, wasn't treated wood like this. this. This wood, this is what I got in my ordination. Now they're getting swords. I got a stick. <laughs> I'm not complaining or anything. I'm just saying, we got ripped off somewhere. One of these days, just to go to one of my kids or my grandkids, I'll let my Luke and Lane fight over it or something. <laughs> but, you know, this is, I don't even know if this is real wood or not. <laughs> Might be plastic, I have no idea. Anyways, this will probably, bearing forth the fact that it's going to be broken or something, somewhat, this is treated wood. But you ever picked up a branch or, 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 or a stick off the, out of the woods? doesn't last a hundred years. But this branch, that, that branch that Jacob leaned on, lasted him his whole pilgrimage. You know what? Jesus Christ might look like an old branch to the world. He's despised of the world, but he is precious to us. And I want to lean on the Lord. Because as Jacob began to lean upon that branch, he finally walked in and stepped into his prophetic ministry because suddenly his eyesight was open and he saw farther than he had ever had seen before. Jacob, the man who just a few chapters earlier said all of these things are working against me and nothing good is coming in my life. Now Naphtali is passing before him and he's saying, Naphtali, oh wow, I see what's going to happen to you in the latter days. And then Ephraim came came before him and he touched Ephraim and said this is what's going to happen to you and then Asher and Dan and Judah and all of his 12 sons they all came before him and Jacob's eyes got so far open that he saw past 430 years of, of pilgrimage and being lost in Egypt he saw past their, four, their, their, uh, their uh, 40 years of being lost in that hot desert sand he saw all the way to when they were established in the land of Canaan nearly 500 years later his eyesight was open and he saw prophetically and then he came to Judah 
And he said, Judah, oh man, Judah, Messiah is going to come from you. He said, I have waited for thy salvation, oh Lord. When whenever, whenever Judah passed before Jacob, as Jacob was leaning on that staff, who was Christ, he looked at Judah prophetically and he said, Messiah is going to come from you. And he saw 3,000 years into the future how Messiah would come and be born of a virgin and be raised again, or, or rather, and die on the cross and be raised again the third day. Yes, I believe he saw the church age. Maybe he didn't see it all exactly like how it would happen, but he saw it prophetically and he saw it was all going to come from Judah. And it happened when he leaned upon his staff, when he leaned upon the Lord. So what am I saying today? There is a direct correlation between how we lean and what we see. If we lean on our own abilities, even Solomon, generations later, would say, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. See, Jacob always had a staff he just never learned to lean on it because he was just simply too self-sufficient. Musicians come. But when he learned to lean on that staff, his spiritual eyesight was opened and he began to prophesy. So the problem never was, problem never was that Jacob didn't really have the physical ability to do great things, because Esau did. And I believe Jacob was also a strong-willed man, just like his brother Esau. But the problem was Jacob never learned how to lean. And he tried to do everything on his own. And as he did things on his own, he was spiritually blind. And that's what happens when we think, because we have a great church, or because we have fill in the bank, this or that, People are going to come here. Let me remind you, we can have a crowd and not have a move of God. What we need desperately is a moving of God. You start a fire somewhere and they'll come from miles to watch it burn. That's what we need more than anything in the world. We need the desperation with God. We need to see farther than we have ever seen before. We need our eyesight open so that we can see not just the things that have already happened, even here this morning, but the things that can happen in the Spirit. How thousands can get the Holy Ghost. We need our territory enlarged. We need to come to a place where we know God's going to do great things. I don't know how He's going to do it. I don't know when He's going to do it. But somewhere along the way, we're going to be in that building and we're going to be there by the grace of God, not because of something that we did, but because we lean on the branch. And when it's your sons and your daughters getting the Holy Ghost and getting healed at altars, and when it's people getting up out of wheelchairs and walking and blinded eyes being open, we'll know that it's not because we had the praise band who had it and brought it that day, or it's not because the preacher, you know, was so, you know, was so awesome with his message, or, or the keyboardist knew how to play all the right tune. It was because somebody knew how to lean on a branch and say, God, we can't do this without you, or we are just another church in Liberty, Missouri. We cannot afford to be just another church we got to be apostolic in this hour because this world is not getting better this world's not getting better it's getting worse 
We see, you know, political violence rising up from both sides of the aisle. Democrats hate the Republicans. The Republicans hate the Democrats. I don't know if it's going to end in a civil war or another hurricane or tornado. I don't know what's going to happen, but I know this. I'm leaning on the branch today. I'm leaning on him. And that's how we come out of the wilderness, leaning on the Lord. Let's stand today. Lift your hands to the Lord right now. How far can you see? How far can you see today? Let the Lord open your eyesight. What can God do through me? I want you to begin to to think upon that as you pray right now. What can God do through me? (laughs) What can God do through me that he's never done before? Lord, open my eyes. It's not in my own abilities, but it's because I'm leaning on the branch. When you start leaning on that branch, spirit of prophecy will come on and you'll begin to see and you'll begin to do things, greater things by faith. What can God do through me? What can God do through me? Nothing is impossible with God. This anointing does not belong to the elite. It belongs to whosoever will. And it shall come to pass afterward, saith God, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and daughters will prophesy. Old men are dream dreams, young men will see visions, and all my servants and handmaidens, that's the youth, where I pour out of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. <laughs> come on, let your voices out for a moment right now. Yes, yes, open our eyes, God to the possibilities of all that you're able to do in this hour, God. I'm going to open up these altars. Would you come today? Just continue to call out to God.